Our guest today, I'm personally speaking, is Jim Tui. Jim has written a powerful new book, To Love and Be Loved, a personal memoir of his relationship, his friendship with Mother Teresa, St. Teresa of Calcutta. Great book, great guy. Stay with us. Hello and welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Lasanti, and Jim Tui joins me now. Jim Tui was a trusted advisor and personal friend of Mother Teresa of Calcutta for 12 years and did the first reading at her massive canonization in St. Peter's Square. He previously headed the White House's Office of Faith-Based and Community Initiatives under President George W. Bush. He did that for four years and served on his senior staff. In 1996, with Mother Teresa's encouragement, he founded the nonprofit advocacy organization Aging with Dignity, where he currently serves as its CEO. Two years later, he created the Five Wishes Advanced Directive, which has sold over 40 million copies and is available in 30 languages. Jim met his wife, Mary Griffin, while they were both volunteering in Mother Teresa's Washington, D.C. AIDS home, and they were married in 1992. Jim and Mary have five children and three grandchildren. He authored the book To Love and Be Loved, The Personal Portrait of Mother Teresa, and he and his wife are donating all the royalties from the book to charities associated with the saint. Jim is here with us today to give us a firsthand account of Mother Teresa's last years, her devotion to God, and the very poorest of his children, and what lessons we can learn from her even today. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, author Jim Tui. The book is called to love and be loved. Jim Tui is our guest. And Jim, I want to start by saying uh, Fox News had me years ago on for coverage of her funeral. And and I remember everything about her and I loved her. I met her a few times. But I'm troubled by the fact that when I'm talking to young adults now, they uh, they really don't know a whole lot about Mother Teresa. Um, is one of the hopes of your book that a whole new generation can understand the importance of this woman? Absolutely. Not only to introduce her to the young people of today, because if they're under really 35 years old, they have no idea who she was. Right. Uh, but it's also to make sure it's an accurate presentation. Unfortunately, on the Internet today, yeah. there are there's so much inaccurate information about Mother. People have trolled her, misrepresented her, and the critics have just kind of unloaded on her because they don't like the church's voice. And so uh, mm. there needs to be a clear record of who the woman actually was. Yeah, and you do that perfectly in the book. I love the book. It's uh, one of the gifts you have as a writer is that you write like a person might talk. It's conversational, and it's. Uh, I don't think anyone would read your book, Jim, and not be able to get a clear picture of Mother. Let me, let me tell you that as, as a priest who preaches pretty bluntly, I sometimes get people saying, I, I don't know, you know, going near anything political is a risky business. Priests should stay away from it. But whenever I, I get challenged, I often point out to them the, uh, the famous breakfast where she spoke with Bill Clinton on the stage and Hillary on the stage and Al Gore on the stage and made the case for the unborn child. In your knowledge of her, did people warn her to stay away from politics? I was there that morning. It was a <laughs> remarkable it was a remarkable speech to see her standing there. She did it with so much love, but she was fearless and she spoke the truth about abortion and and it was a challenge. And I wrote about it in the book because yes. of the the way President Clinton was responding that morning. 
which was the first day she actually had met him. Uh, yeah, I think that she she didn't want to get in the middle of politics. It's somewhat unavoidable if you're a world figure like her that needs the permission of governments to operate. I mean, she wanted to get into Cuba. So to get into Cuba, you have to meet with Fidel Castro. And so, I mean, she had to put up with, I think, a fair amount of those kind of things. But she her work was focused on the poor and it was about Jesus. It wasn't about government. She didn't try to get in the middle of structures and systems and trying to mm-hmm. change society like that. She was there to, to provide relief. To make this a little more personal, I want to move from uh, Jim and the book and Mother Teresa to something that I, I'm always intrigued by. Um, I believe behind every great man, and I think Jim Toohey is that, is always a great woman. When you look back, um, when you were, I guess, 36 years old and you married Mary, um, I often wonder, because every weekend I get to do weddings, I wonder why or how does this person know this is the one for me and I can build a life with them? What did Mary bring to the table that made you say, this is one I'm not letting get away? (laughs) Well, that's what love is, isn't it? Hard to explain. Uh, I certainly recognized in her, and I, I start in the book on page 84, telling the readers who she was and how I met her. But she had the same, you know, the same love of Mother Teresa that I had, love mm-hmm. of the church. We both were had fallen away, and and Mother Teresa had been the means God had used to get us back into the church and to confront our own hypocrisy. Uh, so and I just, I loved her laugh. I loved being with her. And uh, and we love the missionaries of charity, which really was a big part of our life and our and has been throughout our 31 years of marriage. And so uh, Mary was just different from anybody I'd ever met. And because I, I thought I was going to be a bachelor, I thought I'd be a priest father that basically <laughs> mother told me that wasn't my calling. And yeah. so I thought, well, I'll be a layman and live the single life. And uh, and then along came Mary. Well, well, let me ask you how then, too, because you two not only married and uh mary brought to your life a great richness but you went on to have uh, babies together and i'm just wondering when two people have a lot of faith as you and mary do have you any insight i know so many parents and grandparents watch and listen to a program like this have you guys figured out what's the the better way to share faith and values with the children you love yeah uh well the kids are the kids watch what you do more than what you say and Mm -hmm. so obviously example is very important you have to have a certain amount of respect for their freedom. You know, Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? Well, when they're kids, they say, well, my parents say you're the son of the living God. Uh But when you get older, you've got to make that decision yourself. And that means parents have to give the kids some freedom Mm -hmm. uh, to, to maybe answer that in a way you, you don't want them to at that time. But I, I, we're grateful that our five kids practice the faith, but uh, but it's a tough culture in which to practice it. And obviously the church has been so wounded of late that it's led a lot of young people to turn away. But I think there's also now a nice movement of young people coming back to the church. I think Mother Teresa and her nuns have been a big part of that renewal of the church. I intended to get into this later in the interview, but you, you raised the issue, so I want to address it. Uh, we have a very widely attended pre-Cana program here in our parish on Long Island, and uh, when the kids come up with why they're not going, inevitably one of the issues is going to be, you know, I'm so turned off by the scandals of the church, and I say, well, so am I, but I'm not leaving. Um, For a guy who takes the church seriously, loves the church, loves the faith, how did you process the meaning of not only the 4% of priests who did bad things to kids, but the, uh, the more responsible adults in the room seemingly would be the bishops who unfortunately too often 
were part of the cover-up. Jim, how did you make sense of all that? Well, it was heartbreaking. Um, I, I do remember the Mother Teresa one time when I was in a meeting with her, with the bishop, and uh, and I there was a business matter, and I knew that what the bishop was telling Mother was not true. Mm. And Mother acceded to his request, and when we walked out of the room, I was, all my Irish was to the fore, you know, and I just said, Mother, I hope you know that Bishop lied to you. And Mother went like this. She made the sign of the cross on her lips, which was basically her way of saying, you know, stop talking uncharitably. But then, <laughs> and I was still mad, and I, but I stopped talking, and I was walking up the hallway, and she said, you know, even Jesus couldn't pick 12 good disciples. <laughs> and so uh, that's always stuck with me that, yeah, that is true, and the human side of it. I've known so many great priests and bishops yeah. uh, that, and I also, it's the sacraments that are irresistible. I mean, I've said, Mary mm -hmm. and I have said many times, you know, Jesus instituted the sacraments so that we would stick with the church. Because you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, we need them. We absolutely yeah. need them. And so that's why you don't flee. But but we've, we, it's been a heartbreaking scandal. And it's, you know, my, my uh, two of my sisters were abused mm -hmm. uh, by people in vows, uh, priests in vows. So uh, that's heartbreaking. And uh, my mom was divorced. And so uh, I I don't condone it, obviously. And I, I feel like the church has been very slow to punish but and, and exclude these individuals from the hallowed ranks of being called father, which you a title you bear so honorably, Monsignor. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's hard. But, you know, the it's been like when you read the Acts of the Apostles, it's kind of been like this from the beginning. Yes. I mean, it's it ne it's not in some ways it's not supposed to work. I mean, creation was made subject to futility. So it's, in some ways it's not supposed to work. You know, one of the guests we had was Harry Connick Jr., the singer. And I remember reading a story that his dad went to 7 o'clock mass every morning in New Orleans. He was the DA for New Orleans. And, and this one priest said the mass every day. And it turned out that was the priest who was the most grievous offender of uh, abusing children. So I asked Harry, you know, how did your father even stay in the faith? And he said, his dad said, you know, I come for the sacrament. I know the priest is a broken, incomplete person like the rest of humanity, but I, I come for the sacrament. I think you just touched on that, that we should never lose sight of the wisdom of Jesus in giving us the thing that matters. One of the guests I had a hundred years ago was Frank Capra, the film director. He left the church because he said, I wanted to be successful. And I noticed that uh, Catholics and immigrants weren't successful in America, so I became a wasp. He said, in every church I went to, I felt a hollow emptiness wow. until my wife brought me back to the Catholic Church. Yeah. And I went to my first time at communion in 40 years, and I realized, God, this is where I belong. This is where I'm fed. This yeah. is what I need. You, and you touched on that, the, the richness of the sacraments. That Jesus knew what he was doing, huh, Jim? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, one of the reasons I felt strongly, Monsignor, about writing the book was I wanted that chapter on critics uh, mm. in place. It's a 5,000-word piece that yeah. that really rebuts the criticisms, one of which is about a pedophile priest that had hoodwinked everybody. And then long after Mother was dead, it was revealed the extent of his his uh, grave sin. And, mm -hmm. um, and But many people have then tried to say, oh, Mother knew about it. And so I set the record straight with facts, and, and I think we all have to do that and keep it in perspective because – People want to silence the voice of the church, and they use this crisis to muzzle it. And the reality is the church's moral voice needs to be heard because it's a mother. The church's mother and leads us toward the truth. And we need the truth now in an age where artificial intelligence and all these yes. scientific yeah. perspectives on life are destroying and dehumanizing the world we live in.
Jim Tui's book is called To Love and Be Loved. Now, it says in the book clearly, but I want to ask you about now, that Jim has also served as a lawyer for both uh, Mother Teresa and for the Missionaries of Charity. I know some people are going to listen to a show like this, Jim, and say, what in the world would a religious order need a lawyer for? So could you tell our listeners and viewers why you did legal work for the sister, the mothers of, the, you know what I'm saying, Missionaries of Charity? Sure, sure. Yeah, no, when I worked, at the White House for President Bush, I was his faith-based director, and he'd introduced me at a meeting, and he'd go, Tui was Mother Teresa's lawyer. What kind of a world do we live in when even she got around the <laughs> Right. And, uh, and, well, but she liked to sue people. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, she uh, she had, I, I, the legal work I did was to help her open uh, homes for people with AIDS. Nobody wanted them in their areas. Right. So there were a lot of regu government regulations to navigate. Most of the sisters that came to work in these homes in America were from India, so you had big immigration problems. Only after Mother died did Congress pass the Religious Worker Act, in her honor, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, but, it, but only after she died. So prior to her death, it was very hard to get women from India into America. And then the book recounts in a chapter just some of the funny stories of representing yes. her and how people tried to use her name to make money. And some of it was innocent, some of it wasn't, but it was all interesting. I love uh, about the nun bun story. I I, <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. But I, I love that uh, eventually first you wrote and then finally she wrote. And uh, you came to some accommodation, right? They, they We did. They, we worked it out. Well, and, and it was it was funny. She had a great sense of humor. And that's what I loved about Mother, even to the end, because that literally was resolved in the last meeting with her. It was 10 weeks before she uh, passed away. She was in the Bronx and, uh, and in that meeting. She was laughing about it. You know, she could take a laugh, uh, you know, a, a joke on herself, you know, so she didn't take herself too seriously. That was what was so disarming about her. She was so real and honest and true. I mean, but but when I met her, she I met her the week she turned 75. So I mm -hmm. knew her the last 12 years of her life. And uh, she was remarkable. Her judgment, her ability to command the grit, the toughness. I mean, it was remarkable to see that woman in action. She was all, you know, Albanian grit and motherhood. So yeah, the book hopefully <laughs> captures that. Uh, let me ask you, because I remember it, it happening. Uh, she came to St. Agnes Cathedral, Ardassan Cathedral, and our bishop had put out a huge spread of lunch for her. And I, I don't think it was a pretend or uh, it just seemed so sincere. She looked at the food and, and thanked the bishop. But then she said, what I really need is you have a, a Eucharistic chapel here in the rectory. And, and she went upstairs and prayed and skipped lunch. That's really her, huh? It is. She didn't, you know, I think the sisters from day one had a rule that they would not eat outside of their community because uh. they didn't want to make the poor feel obliged to offer them their food. And so then in rich countries, she didn't want to be rude. The Nobel Peace Prize dinner, uh, she skipped it and said, "Have don't hold it and just have the money uh, sent to the poor. You know, so she... She was authentic about it and consistent. And to this day, the sisters uh, don't go eat in people's homes and don't eat out in restaurants and things. So it's part of their vow of poverty, but it's also in respect of the poor they mm -hmm. serve that they don't want to make them uncomfortable and feel like they have to, uh, you know, provide them their best when they come to their homes. Jim Tui is our guest. Jim, the uh, you talked about critics, and one of the ones that always struck me, I never understood uh, why he was so vehement about her, but the the atheist. Christopher Hitchens seemed to have a real axe to grind. Um, what did Mother make of people like that who 
could just not see the good in her and were very quick to celebrate what they viewed as the negative. Well, I remember going to Mother and telling her about Hitchens's book that came mm. out in 1994, The Missionary Position, uh, yeah. which was a, a, just an awful diatribe about Mother, and it's factually inaccurate and informed by an individual in India who had performed abortions, uh, Chatterjee, uh, Roop Chatterjee, had performed abortions by his own admission. Yeah. And so he had an axe to grind with Mother and, and didn't like her giving Calcutta such a bad image, he thought. So, and this is the person Hitchens was relying on for so much of his information. Hitchens spent one day in Calcutta in 1981, followed yeah. Mother around. How he could have concluded what he did, I don't know. But when I told Mother about the book, she said, why do? Why would he write such things? And I just, mm -hmm. and I didn't have really have an answer. The Mother said, well, let's pray for him. I mean, that was her attitude. So she didn't, she knew that she was a sinner. She went to confession you know, mm. weekly, she didn't go into the confessional to priests like you and say, I have nothing to confess. Right, you know, right. She went in there and confessed that she was impatient. She was stubborn. She could be angry and short with people at times, you know. Uh, so she was she always saw herself as a sinner in need of grace. And, and that humility is why God used her. She That's how she became holy. She was so humble. Jim Tui in his book, To Love and Be Loved, gets into the issue, which was controversial at the time about the news that uh, Mother had struggled at times with dark nights of the soul and to believe. Uh, I have to tell you that when I heard that, like many people, I was so moved and delighted because, you know, uh, who of us has not gone through times of, of doubt and fear and anxiety and wondering, is what we believe true? And to know that this saint could struggle, if anything, gave me great hope. Uh, but you go into the book in, in detail about how it came to be and what what did you think of it when it came to be a public fact that, uh, like a lot of us, she struggled to believe sometimes? Well, I, my initial reaction was shock. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I, I Father Brian sent me the galley proofs of the book "Come Be My Light" that dis, that revealed these letters of Mother, and 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 asked me to look at them before publication. And when I looked at them and I read those letters, I was shocked. Mm. I, and Sister Nirmala, probably Mother's closest friend her successor, contacted her. Did you know about this? And sister said, no, nobody did, it, which is amazing to me. I would, if I had that kind of darkness and aridity, I'd be complaining to everybody. Right. You know, right. But, she, yeah, you know, but she didn't say a word and she was cheerful. I thought that I saw how mortified her life was, how hard she drove herself. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought the Lord was whispering sweet nothings into her ear all those years. But what he did do early on was communicate very intimately, much like Margaret Mary, uh, of his desire for her to go and satiate his thirst and go into the dark holes and breathe his light among the poor. You know, those were face-to-face -face encounters Mother had. And uh, the church is still unpacking all this, we know, because Mother had this darkness for decades. Mm -hmm. And so that's also unknown in the annals of the church, at least among the saints. And so... Yeah, I think Mother's going to be a real 21st century yes. uh, saint because of, of the loneliness people have and the darkness and, and the spiritual difficulties that we all encounter. I think Mother's going to be a real light. Jim Tui also, here's a, a quote uh, from Mother in his book that I was struck by. My cheerfulness is the cloak by which I cover the emptiness and the misery. Do you know yeah. why she wouldn't share in the sense of like, if you're miserable, why can't you let people know that? Why would you use good humor? Uh, what held her back from saying, I'm having a terrible day, and here's why? 
Well, I'd have to speculate since we never talked about it. But if you ask me my opinion, mm-hmm. I would say that she knew that she was a leader of women and men, the brothers and fathers too. But but she had thousands of women following her. And I don't think she wanted to ever be in a discouragement to them yeah. or to indicate that she had problems because she didn't want the attention on her. So she poured out her heart in these letters to spiritual directors under their requirements. She wouldn't have even written them to them. Um, and But she made cheerfulness one of the attributes of being a missionaries of charity sister. You had to be cheerful. I remember one time in San Francisco talking to the novices the night before they were taking their first vows. And she said, if you can't be cheerful, go home now. <laughs> you know, she just looked at him. Don't go home. She goes, the poor have enough problems without you being grumpy. And I think that also was one of the reasons she had that cloak of cheerfulness is that she wanted to lift the spirits of the poor and the miserable. And so, and she knew Jesus was there. I was in her hospital room with her in Calcutta in 1996. I mean, Monsignor, she had a tabernacle directly in front of her bed. You wow. know, so the idea that somehow she had lost God or did, you know, lost faith is completely untrue. She knew exactly where she was going. She simply didn't have any sensory experience of that anymore. She went from that intimacy with Jesus to nothing but dryness and desert and and and, and I think rejection, which is why she was so in touch with the poor that had been rejected by society, is that she was experiencing that rejection. So I spent a chapter on this, but I think uh, the church is going to be spending centuries writing and thinking and, and digesting the reality of her life and John Paul II's life. Yes. Jim Tui's our guest. The Love and Be Loved is a book about Mother Teresa. You know, I, I, until recently, she went home to God a month ago. My 102-year-old mom lived with me. And when she was in pain, and she'd tell me she was in pain, but she'd say, ah, but, you know, I'm Catholic. We're supposed to offer it up. But I love in your book, Jim, that you get into the fact that Mother was was in pain a lot of the time and, and was pretty open about it. And thank God had her sisters to help alleviate the pain. Uh, were you yep. surprised that she was open about it? Not at all. Mother is very human. That was the beauty yeah. of her. She was very real about that. And she took pain medicine mm-hmm. as the day of her death. The sister, one sister right before she died, actually was massaging her back. Her back was yes. in such pain. I mean, mother, that last day, she had such crippling back pain. She could not find a comfortable yeah. position. And she was taking pain medicine that really wasn't doing the trick and was messing up her, her kidneys. And so, yeah, mother... I mean, she offered up plenty. Yeah. She used to say to all of us, you know, accept an offer. So she was no stranger to physical suffering, mm-hmm. but she also was, I think, balanced. She was a yeah. very balanced person. And so she liked chocolates, you know, yeah. but she lived a very mortified <laughs> life. So, but it was all in balance, you know, and I think that yeah. was the case with medicines too, that she took them. And, uh, but when she was in pain like that, yeah, I mean, she's human. Jim Jim Tui talks in the book about a number of things in his own life. Jim, one of the interesting things I wanted to follow up on was you've been a president of two Catholic universities, and a whole lot of them are going through problems in terms of enrollment. Certainly at a place like Ave Maria, you were someone who had a boom in undergraduate enrollments. Is is there a a right or wrong way for us to make Catholic universities successful? You you had success. I, I wish I could understand and, and bottle what it was you did right. Well, I think there is there is a real hunger for God by our young people. They're looking for an authentic and true experience. Um, and so I think if you facilitate that and you help them cultivate a critical mind so that they can then learn to derive beauty around them from nature, mm-hmm. from each other, from poetry, 
you know, so the, a good liberal arts education, I think, is vital. Um, a faculty that model the Catholic mission and and a, and a school that that adheres to the church, you know, and follows it and is not just Catholic in name only. You know, uh, going back to Mr. Capper again, he used to say, "Illness is not a problem so great as the uh, the spiritual illness of discouragement." I mention that because in the book, for instance, you talk about the sisters who were uh, missionaries of charity who were slaughtered in Yemen, and uh, I, I read that and I was heartbroken that there's such evil in the world, such misunderstanding of of God's will and purpose in the world. But but Jim, anyone listening to this interview or reading your book, uh, you come across as this guy not unlike Mother, who's filled with hope. And and, and you look around at the dismal state of the world and, and you don't want to give up. So I got to ask you, the root of your hope, the root of your joy is what? Well, uh, the love of my life is Jesus Christ, you mm. know, and this and, and Mary, Our Lady, is, is my little secret. You know, I Our Lady's been, Mary and I got married in the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico. Ah. And I got engaged there because uh, I wanted to, ask her to marry me there thinking our lady will keep me from messing it up too badly. And I've tried on senior mm. to mess it up, but so far so good. Uh, but, you know, I think, I just think the Eucharist, this is the year of the Eucharist and yeah. that's a triumph. This is, you know, Jesus gave us his body and blood to nourish us so that we could follow and live the joy of the gospel. I love Pope Francis and his emphasis on the joy of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're, there's a hundred reasons to be discouraged. But the Bible and the Word of God is the source of our hope, and the church guides us to know Christ and to love and serve him. I mean, I was a K-12 Catholic school uh, kid that, you know, when Simon and Garfunkel music was being played at Mass, and, uh, you know, the church is going through all that. So it was only through Mother that I really decided to read Scripture and to try to learn the catechism and read it, you know, what Pope John Paul put out. So those two great people guided me, and it really encouraged me and if they could be cheerful how can i not be you know so after all they had to suffer so yeah i'm thankful and i am hopeful i there there there's a happy ending to this and it builds on our yeah. faith and it leads us to love as as mother's tombstone says love one another as i have loved you i mean that at the end of the day that's our christian calling isn't it i want to thank jim Tui for being with us and for our listeners and watchers to love and be loved is a book that should be in every home Sometimes, you know, people get highfalutin in the way they write, and we can miss the person. The great thing about Jim's book is if you want to know who Mother Teresa is, not just the saint, but the human being, it comes across so clearly. Jim, you've provided the great service, and, and importantly, too, your faith and your love for Jesus and Mother Mary is, is so self-evident in the way in which you talk about it. And uh, you're just a great source of hope and yeah. joy for me as well. So thanks for what you've been doing with your life. Keep on keeping on. And uh, and God bless Mary for putting up with you. I mean, your wife. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Monsignor. God bless you for your priesthood. We're grateful. As we end today's program, if you'd like to reach out to me for any reason, you can get me at personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. Aside from listening to us on Sirius XM, the Catholic channel, you can also watch us on YouTube by going to Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Lasanti. Please hit like and subscribe. We're also, as you probably know, on Facebook at Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Lasanti. And now we're also on Instagram at Personally Speaking Podcast. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, Personally Speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jandovitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking. <laughs>